Want a piece of the Scott Adams Show and Red State Talk Radio billboard in Times Square and be part of the excitement? For a limited time, we are now offering a 25% reward to anyone who refers a one-minute annual sponsor to our Times Square billboard. Need extra cash? How about putting an extra $600 in your pocket each month for the next 12 months? Or earn more by co-oping a one-minute-per-hour ad spot with four 15-second ad partners? All you have to do is tell a friend or colleague about our unique and affordable billboard opportunity where we offer billboard space at discounted rates, and we will take care of the rest. From our design to photographs and video of your billboard ad. Visit scottadamshow.com and click on the Advertise tab to learn more about the terrific opportunity to promote, save, and win. Call 215-592-1600 now to learn more about the great opportunities of billboard advertising. That's 215-592-1600. Call today. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, so they passed the debt ceiling. And uh, so there's no limit to the spending that we're going to do in Congress. And in part, you know, uh, Kinzinger and Liz Cheney sided with the Democrats in the House to raise the debt ceiling. And to give the Democrats more spending, it would have been so easy to just stop that spending in its tracks. I mean, just put a ceiling on it and hide behind that shield. But no, they want to give the Democrats as much room to spread their communism as they ever wanted. And that is a problem. And Liz Cheney, all the while, is also uh, drumming up some new January 6th text that we're going to get to today. And it's just, you know, frustrating when you think about where we've been as a Republican Party to where we have allowed these Republicans in name only to compete against the outward communists 
Richard Blumenthal, the Democrat senator from Connecticut, spoke at a Yale communist Yale function. And (laughs) that just is, you know, letting the veil down and allowing us to see what we're up against. They don't even hide it anymore, folks. It used to be that you would go against the Democrats and they would want to spend more of your money, your tax dollars. They would want to spend it more. They would want to raise the debt. They could never pay for any of the dreams that they would be pushing. But at least, you know, when you would get there to the debate, they would say, no, it's not a new tax. I remember when they were pushing Obamacare. It's not a tax. And then Justice Chief Justice Roberts said, well, it's unconstitutional if it's not a tax. It's got to be a tax to be constitutional. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, it, it is a tax. But they, they were always trying to hide new taxes. It's not a new tax. It's not. No, no, no. And they would try to hide the fact that they were pushing socialism and communism. They were trying to hide the fact by lying and deception and media coverage that spoiled them that they were racists, that they were discriminatory, that they were segregationists. The Democrat Party is all of those things. And anybody who stands with the Democrat Party is those things. They are those things. They support not only the legacy of segregation, the Jim Crow laws that they wrote, the segregation that they supported, the Ku Klux Klan club they started. I just was watching something yesterday. uh, Antifa goes all the way back to the 80s. It started in Europe. Do you recall, if you think about it, in Europe, decades ago, I guess it was sort of like when they were pulling the Berlin Wall down, they had these groups wearing helmets and face masks and stuff like that. I recall that now. That was actually the origins of the Antifa movement, the anti-fascist movement. The only problem with that anti-fascist movement is they're all communists. They were part of the globalist movement. They were part of the Democrat movement back then. See, Europe is about 20 years ahead of us when it comes to moving, well, when it comes to destroying the middle class, when it comes to moving capitalism aside for communism. Globalism is what is the end result. They try to tell you that it's leveling the playing field. It's equality instead of equity. They try to tell you that it's a kumbaya kind of thing. That if you're one world, if you're one world order, new world order is one world. One world. I remember U2 was pushing that. Bono was pushing that. AIDS to Africa was kind of pushing that. The healthcare industry was, the healthcare uh, entities were getting involved in globalism back then. And Fauci was right there. AIDS to Africa, their alliances with the musicians and the medical fields and professionals. 
and the university elites, the aristocracy, the aristocrats. And George Soros was in his prime. He got banned from, I think it was, United Kingdom for attempting to collapse their economy by buying currency. So there's a lot going on here. And there's a rig systems. It's how you get to where we are right here in America with rigged elections because there's no way that America is ready for communism. So there's no way that America voted for communism. Where are the 81 million voters that are supporting Joe Biden right now? He can't. He has no interest. I was looking at the White House YouTube, and you could do this yourself. Look at the White House YouTube likes or views. No, it's views. If you look at the views on the uh, White House YouTube channel, they're so small, like 186 views. And that's probably half the people that work for them. And some of the people that post those videos have to hit refresh. And, you know, so nobody cares about what Joe Biden's doing. You look at the numbers, you compare them to Donald Trump, and everybody cared about what Donald Trump had to say. What is he going to say next? What truth bomb is Donald Trump going to lay out today for the media? You are fake news. And now we know. We know now that the January 6th was a rigged system. It was full of, full of crap. And, uh, and there are people that are working on this, and the truth is going to eventually come out as we see more and more discovery. But we have people on our side that are fighting against us. The Democrats don't have these turncoats. The worst they have is Joe Manchin, who's actually fiscally responsible to a certain degree, although he even voted for the spending bill and the the, uh, debt ceiling uh, lifting. You know, and like uh, we were listening to Steve Miller, uh, the two senators in Arizona could put a stop to the shenanigans going on with regard to Yuma and the um, uh, endless migration that's going on there. A state with 7 million people has already been, you know, basically been replaced by illegals. The amount of illegals they're letting in is almost higher than the number of people that are actually in the state itself. You could flip a state just by importing all these people that don't care about America. Do you think these people that are pouring in through our borders and through the refugee programs could give two cents about border security? No, of course not. So all those voters who benefited from open borders are going to forever support open borders. When you lose your identity as a, as a nation, when you are a minority of your own country, you're no longer a white, Judaic, Christian country. You're now a Somali, uh, Sharia law, sympathizing uh, tribal community. 
of sorts, the, uh, vote for Ilham Omar, who hates America. I seriously doubt that you're going to, you know, when when uh, you're outnumbered, you know, what's the point of voting? If you're going to lose every election, what's the point of voting? If the elections are rigged, what's the point of voting? And we have to understand that we're, we haven't, we, it, all is not lost and that we should vote. And we should. We have a chance to save America. You know, the persistence laid out his strategy, his strategy for success. And I have my own strategy for success. And my strategy is to try to win back the Senate and the House, which I think is a no-brainer. Because just like what happened in the November elections in Virginia and New Jersey, for the governorships and just like what's happened along the border with those elections where Democrat seats flipped for the first time to Republicans I seriously believe that that we are at a precipice and uh, and I think what's going to eventually happen is we could we could win back the House and Senate in 2022. There's no doubt about it. I don't think they have an algorithm to cheat, and I don't think that they're willing to cheat and rig elections when it's not a general election, when it's not a nationwide, uh, when it's not a uh, presidential election. I think they pull out the big guns for cheating with that, and I think they started it in 2012, and I think it's the reason why Barack Obama was able to beat Mitt Romney. And there they needed an algorithm that wasn't that crazy. But crazy nevertheless, because I was shocked as anybody that Mitt Romney didn't beat Obama. That people wanted four more years of a tyrannical, jihadi, radical Islamic jihadist in Barack Hussein Obama, who basically wanted to... uh, destroy our day, everything that Biden is pushing, everything that Mayorkas is pushing with respect to changing our demographics, knowing full well that if they could change the demographics, then what is left to defend? If you don't even know who you are as an identity or as a people, like we were talking about weeks ago, with respect to London. Amir Khan has changed the demographics of London. They don't know who Benny Hill is. They don't know who Monty Python is. They don't know who the Beatles are. So when it comes to worrying about open borders or defending your identity, your culture, your history, what is there left to defend? Especially if you're the governing body that turns a blind eye to pulling down statues without even a civil discussion. And that we've seen with our own two eyes. To the likes of Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt at the History Museum in New York. Columbus in Columbus Circle. Or, you know, Robert E. Lee for that matter. You know, not a great history for Robert E. Lee, but Nevertheless, it's part of our history. We learn from it. We learn from our mistakes. (laughs) Naturally, Robert E. Lee, who fought for slavery, 
was, in fact, a Democrat fighting against the new Republican Party, headed by, led by Lincoln. So they were always on the wrong side of things. George Wallace from Alabama was the grand poobah of segregationists and the grand wizard of the KKK that last walked the steps of the halls of Congress. Robert Byrd was a Democrat. And the people who wrote the Jim Crow laws were Democrat state and local officials that wrote up the guidelines that were unconstitutional. How did they, how did they actually get executed? Well, it certainly wasn't by laws. They would have been overturned in the courts, a fair court anyway, which would have risen, you know, you might have these local kangaroo courts, but eventually these things find their way all the way up to the Supreme Court. <clears throat> but no, the uh, issue there was they got the um, uh, Southern businesses to adhere to the guidelines because they agreed in lockstep with the segregationists in the South. And it's how the, because the South was uh, dominated by Democrats, white Democrat racists. And, and then eventually Republicans moved south, carpetbagged their way south, took over leadership with their new ideas, part of the Union, not the Confederacy, and uh, they might made their way and started winning elections and started changing the rules and guidelines to where black people actually wanted to stay in those states and find meaningful employment, raise their families, and become equal Changing laws like the thirteenth, uh, the part of the Constitution amendments, thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth amendments that really had an impact on equality, and uh, the black folks in America won, won out. They benefited from this, and it was the Democrats that fought those pieces of legislation tooth and nail, tooth and nail. It was the Republicans. And the new Republican Party that stood for equality. And yet today we're still fighting this fight with against a party that basically uh, seems to have their own idea, you know, their own level of arrogance, where if you're a J6 protester, you're rotten jail for eternity if they'll let you. But if you're Antifa, Anti-fascist, the definition, the short definition of fascism is central authority. That was the exact opposite of what Donald Trump was. They tried to call him a fascist, but that was the exact opposite of what he was. He was a federalist. He was a populist nationalist, not a socialist, not a communist, like the globalists that he fought against. Remember in NATO? Remember, pay your bills. Remember when he would go to Europe and ruffle the feathers of everybody in town because they were just a bunch of globalists talking out of both sides of their mouth, never getting anything done for the people but empowering themselves? Why is it that this leadership that's been going on in, uh, in Europe has resulted in the biggest disparity in terms of poverty and wealth? The biggest gap that we've ever seen. 
And the more, the bigger the government gets, the bigger the, ga- the, the bigger the gap. And they want to talk about communism equals equality. That everybody gets a fair shake and everybody gets the same pay and everybody thinks the same way. Everybody gets the same common core education. Everybody gets the indoctrination. Everybody gets the jab. Everybody gets told what to do. And everybody gets to be compliant with the government. And if they all play by the rules, instead of fighting the system, somehow we're all going to be equal. Well, that didn't work too well in any place where communism has reared its ugly head. And in Europe, they have the biggest gap. They have no middle class left. And as I've always said, you could never install socialism or communism if you have a strong, vibrant, working middle class. It's, it's abundant and big, represents 60-70% of the population. It used to be that America was a middle class country with just a small section, cross-section of elites and a small group of dependent people that were poor. And the more and more we got social welfare systems in place and we surrounded it by civil rights legislation, but it soon seeped out to where it wasn't just about black folks anymore because naturally white people and Hispanics and other groups would say, hey, you know, what about us? We're just as poor as those black people. That's not fair. And of course, the constitutional law lawyers We win those cases. Yeah, you know, um, discrimination should not beget more discrimination. Affirmative action is discriminatory. Quota-based systems are discriminatory. You know, we're a free market, fair society. Capitalism should prevail. The best should survive. The best should win. Not everybody gets a trophy like in the land of Oz. And so therefore... These things don't stand the test of time. So then they, just like they say, if you start a government program, the government program supposed to be temporary is never temporary. It lasts forever. It's always there. It's never going to go away. And that's the sad, sad news. Well, the persistence, um, gosh, I'm throwing a blank on his name. Um, Oh, Scott Pressler. So he's speaks throughout the country. I think I think that's his gig now. He says, here's the pathway forward. Elect Republican governors in Arizona. Re-elect DeSantis. Uh, you know, so elect a Republican governor in Arizona. Re-elect DeSantis in Florida. Defeat Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Flip Michigan governor from blue to red. Flip PA governor from blue to red. So that's talking about Whitmer and uh, and uh, Governor Wolf. And then uh, in Pennsylvania. And then Wisconsin. Um, flip the, the blue to the red. So Wisconsin, PA, and Michigan. Turn those states, you know, because it's those types of uh, governors that have really gotten involved with the election rigging. So if you want to stop election rigging, what you want to do is 
get new leadership in those states. So you got to really invest hard, push hard, and win those elections, particularly where it belongs at the Secretary of State and maybe the Attorney General and so on and so forth, the Lieutenant Governor. A lot of these are independently elected people anyway, but uh, you got to get them all in. So if you want to win those states and not have all the shenanigans of election rigging, and if there is election rigging, you can properly contest it, then you're going to want to flip Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin and get Republican governors to replace the existing Democrat governors. Make sure Stacey Abrams, but I have a feeling Stacey Abrams that fixes in. That's going to be a tough one. Because despite the fact that Georgia is red state, I believe that it's so corrupt. They got election rigging perfected in Georgia. And they got demographic manipulation going on in Georgia. There's more Hispanics there today than ever before. They shipped them in. These people aren't even voting. They don't even know what a voting card looks like. Yet somehow they've registered to vote. And their vote got to be a ballot, and the ballot got to be a Democrat vote. They're voting people in without people even knowing that they're voting. That's the point. But reelecting DeSantis should be easy because, for the first time, Republicans outnumber Democrats in Florida. So that's a good thing. I know so many of my Democrat friends who've migrated down there and they've brought their politics with them. That was what was scaring me. But maybe not. Maybe they're going to learn the the error of their ways. I have a friend that I haven't spoken with in a while and he's a Democrat, blue as can be, hates Donald Trump, but he couldn't stop making fun of Joe Biden's policies. I mean, all the things that we're dealing with today, he was making jokes about it, like as if it's how ridiculous it is. Of course, you voted for it, but I didn't get into it with him. We hadn't talked in a while. I wasn't going to start a political debate. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, you voted for this, and now you're laughing about it. You know? It just doesn't make any sense. See, I think that, no, we win the House and the Senate back in 2022, Mine is a lot simpler, more simple than uh, Scott Pressler's. You win the House and Senate, which I think is easy peasy. I think even the Democrats know they can't pull this off with even their election rigging. They can minimize the damage with election rigging. That's about it. But then come 2024, I think what you're going to end up having is you're going to have Donald Trump as the uh, ticket there are some people calling saying Trump should step aside. And I say never. Trump is the one that got us here. Trump has been the true salt of the earth when it comes to uh, exposing everything that we've seen. And they are collapsing around us. CNN is collapsing. Fake news is collapsing. They're collapsing under their own weight. People know exactly what's going on with the fake news, which is a huge part of our political discussion and discourse. Huge. But here we are, 
And I will say that, um, you know, we're doing, um, we, we just have to take back the House and Senate 2022, get Trump elected in 2024, and then hopefully he picks DeSantis. And DeSantis becomes his VP. And maybe not. Maybe DeSantis is more useful as a governor in Florida. But then DeSantis can get reelected or get elected, you know, in 2028 to 32. And then someone like DeSantis, 32, gets reelected, 32 to 2036. That means that we would have 16 years or no, basically 12 years of Republican dominance with basically a pragmatic, straight, in-your-face, honest discussion about what's what in America. And that would be the end of, uh, I think that would be the end of European discussion about globalism. I think globalism would lose. However America goes, if America embraces globalism, then globalism wins. If America rejects globalism, then globalism loses because basically the uh, Europe answers to the United States. That's just all there is to it, to that. So I want to get into um, a couple of uh, things that that are related to uh, things I've been tweeting out. I want to also talk about covid and its relationship with young athletes dying. Um, they're dying in droves, hundreds of them, around the world. People are just collapsing on the field. Soccer players that are healthy as can be are dying. Uh, but I also have some clips that I want to uh, play play around with. They're entertaining. Uh, one of them is Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about this whole thing about January 6th. Liz Cheney and Kinzinger coming out with these texts that are trying to suggest that somehow this was a bad thing. But it's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with the texts. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's perfectly fine. It was legal to do what he did. And um, so, yeah, um, uh Congresswoman Lauren Bobart says the January 6th scam committee is holding Chief Mark Meadows in contempt. Wait until the American people hold the Democrats and their rhino allies in contempt on November 8th, 2022. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. Let's take a listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Can never go wrong with Marjorie Taylor Greene giving some what for to the to the uh, to the chamber. One minute to the gentlewoman from Georgia. The gentlewoman from Georgia is recognized. We've heard a lot about text messages. I'd like to the Democrats and the people on the January 6th committee to produce their text messages, Mr. Speaker, denouncing Antifa BLM riots that raged across American cities for a year. I would love to read those. But instead, we saw Democrats encourage, incite, and continue to call these riots peaceful. And then when they got arrested and put in jail, they bailed them out so they could go out and riot some more. I rise in opposition to this resolution 
to hold Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress because it's being held by nothing but a kangaroo court. Congress's job is to make laws, not enforce them. That's the role of the executive and the judicial branch of this government. But somehow the communists here in charge have forgotten, or no, not forgotten, are purposely abusing the Constitution and what this, this body of Congress is supposed to do. You see, when we go to this level, to the point where we're forgetting and abusing what our power is, then the American people will trust us no more. And that is exactly what the January 6th committee is doing. It's an incredible charade. And, uh, of course, that's exactly what you're going to get with Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney running the show. Um, it's absurd. <clears throat> and, again, the Democrats, they'll fight tooth and nail as Democrats. They'll even go as far as communism, you know, because that's, that's what they are. That's exactly what they are. And in fact, here are some of the highlights of Democrat Senator Richard Blumenthal and his introducer at the Connecticut People's World Committee, an affiliate of Communist Party USA. Let's take a listen. Thank you all. This is a beautiful tribute from all of our labor leaders honoring how important the Communist Party is in our movement um, not just in Connecticut, but across the whole world. And indeed, this has been a very extraordinary year, um, really two years with the pandemic, but this year we've seen the pandemic revealing an even wider systemic divide in terms of um, exacerbating racism and inequalities and a huge strike wave sweeping the country. Today we stand in solidarity with Unite Here unions at Yale, and AFT communities struggle at Wyndham Hospital. Later in the program, we will focus attention on the very courageous and inspiring strikers of 1199 at Sunrise Incorporated. And today, now we have a very special surprise guest. Our state senator, Richard Blumenthal, is here to be part of the awards today and to share some appreciations and recognition of the awardees. So please welcome Senator Blumenthal. Thank you so much. Uh, I am really excited and honored to be with you today and to share this remarkable occasion, now turning our attention to economic equity. This agenda requires us all to work together. And I'm looking forward, as a Democrat, proudly as a Democrat, to making sure that in 2022 we re-elect Democrats in the Congress and elect more of them, because that's going to be key to making sure that we have an equitable, fair, just America. Thank you for fighting for it. Thank you for your help and support over many, many years. And again, my congratulations to these great honorees. Thank you for allowing me to participate. I have for each of them a certificate of special recognition from the Senate of the United States, uh, which I will proudly allow uh, to be presented as you go through the award ceremony, but just know it's here. 
I am excited and proud to join you and thank you so much for giving us this occasion to reestablish and reaffirm our commitment to this cause. Thanks so much. So obviously equity, equity is code word for equal playing field. I need all of you in the fights ahead. If you're not already engaged with your union or community groups, this is the time to get engaged. If you are not already part of the Communist Party, we invite you to participate and contribute and join. There's more and more people talking now about socialism in this country as it becomes more and more clear that capitalism is not going to work for our future. We're at the crisis point. We're at the boiling point, and we have to find another way. So the door is open to you. I'm a member of the Communist Party. I love it. I think it's an amazing organization. And many of us here are very proud to be part of that organization. Now, you know, this uh, woman speaking is very pretty. And uh, very. she has, a, has the scarf and, and the necklace and uh, very fancy clothes. Um, obviously, she seems very well to do. And, uh, you know, at Yale, no less. And uh, they managed to score a senator like Senator Dick, Danang, Danang Dick Blumenthal, right? The guy who lied about his Vietnam record. You know, they're just a bunch of liars. It's incredible where we have gotten to be in our country with that kind of legitimacy. Um, here we have Tucker Carlson breaks down why Liz Cheney was demanding text messages related to J6. Uh, Want to get into that? We have a few Tucker Carlson short clips. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a listen to this one. So yesterday, in case you missed it, Liz Cheney found herself with a list of text messages to and from Mark Meadows. Meadows was Donald Trump's last White House chief of staff. Now, those texts showed no evidence of any crime whatsoever, but since she had them, Liz Cheney thought they might be embarrassing to conservatives, so she read them on television. Some of those texts, it turns out, were from anchors here at Fox News, and Liz Cheney took special delight in reading those. According to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, and he has turned over those texts. Notice the foe serious does, ooh, according to the record. Now, before we get into the details of what is in those texts, just step back for a, for a second and consider what we just saw. We now live in a country where none of your private communications are safe from the eyes of power-drunk politicians like Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney can harness the awesome power of the national security state to seize your personal text messages and then read them into the congressional record. And guess what? There's nothing you can do about it, Mr. Citizen. We don't care. So your texts, effectively your daily diary, now belong to Liz Cheney. And the question all of us, no matter who we voted for, have to ask ourselves is, do we really want to live in a country like that? Well, probably we don't. Privacy isn't just a nice thing to have. It's not an ancillary concern. Privacy is morally essential. Privacy is a prerequisite for freedom. You can't have liberty without privacy. And that, needless to say, is the whole point of the spectacle to let you know that we don't have freedom anymore and Liz Cheney is really in charge. But what's 
extra amazing about what Liz Cheney just did, and this is the reason you know this is a show trial, purely political and totally disconnected from reality, much less law, is that the text message that she read yesterday were exculpatory. They didn't make her case. They undercut her case. So three Fox anchors sent messages to Mark Meadows, and none of them cheered what was happening at the Capitol on January 6th. In fact, they were upset by it, even in private when they assumed no one was listening. And that shouldn't surprise you. These are principled people. What they say in public is not that far from what they say over text message. If you get a text from Brian Kilmeade, it sounds pretty much identical to Brian Kilmeade on Fox and Friends. These are not phonies. We can personally confirm that. Whether you like them or not, they're real. So Fox anchors on TV and in private opposed the BLM riots in the summer of 2020. Fox anchors opposed the riot on Capitol Hill in January of 2021. It turns out that Fox anchors oppose riots, all riots, no matter who's rioting. And we're the only news anchors in the United States of America who do this. The other channels wait to see who the rioters voted for, and then they respond accordingly, as you may have noticed. So the text that Liz Cheney read aloud yesterday were a tribute to the people who wrote them. But because she is a liar, Liz Cheney attempted to twist these texts into proof of some kind of conspiracy, part of the insurrection storyline, which, by the way, is getting very old. If January 6th was an insurrection, and we'll believe anything, where's the evidence of that? Yeah, and uh, nobody, you know, the uh, death that, that involved Ashley Babbitt still is unsolved. But I read these texts, and I was like, where's the smoking gun? Where's the problem? People were trying to say, uh, Fox News anchors were go talking to uh, Meadows, and they were trying to say, you got to get in touch with the president. He's got to make, and, and so was Don Jr., Don Trump Jr., was basically saying, you know, we got to get ahead of this. We need more than just a, a tweet. We need more than just, I don't even, I think his tweet, no, he still had Twitter then. Because his Twitter was taken down because of the January 6th. They used this as a weapon to uh, censor him, uh, Donald Trump. But this whole thing was strange. But, you know, it was basically because Antifa, they believed, was running the show that this was an inside uh you know job where you know most of the people that were there to support president trump had no idea that there was going to be some sort of uh event that's going to break into the capitol and it's that part that uh needs to be revealed like who were the bombers on january 5th who planted the bombs we still don't know we barely ever found out it was Richard Byrd, the Secret Service guy that shot Ashley Babbitt. That was kept under secret. Why is he not on trial for murder? This was a completely defenseless woman, and all he had to do was detain her. But instead, he pulled out his gun and shot her in the neck. It's insane. You know, and it's the same people that are wired, you know, um, eavesdropping. Think about that Fourth Amendment right that you have uh, against search and seizure. And here, Liz Cheney turns a blind eye to due process, turns a blind eye to our Fourth Amendment protections, and to the people that are incarcerated, 
turns a blind eye to their First Amendment rights. This is why Julian Assange's case is worth so much. Here's Tucker Carlson talking about Julian Assange. So you probably heard the name Julian Assange, and you probably gathered from all the shouting about Julian Assange from our political class that he's some sort of international spy who hacked our computers and stole our secrets. But that's not at all what Julian Assange is or has ever been. He didn't hack anybody's computers. He's a journalist. He reprinted facts that were deeply embarrassing to our political class, the Democratic National Committee, and to, above all, the foreign policy establishment, which has an awful lot to be embarrassed of. And for doing that, the New York Times has done things like that for 100 years, no problem. Julian Assange does it. Well, he's been incarcerated for almost a decade since the summer of 2012. He's now, for the last two-odd years, been in maximum security prison in the UK. He could be coming to this country. So what exactly is going to happen next with Julian Assange, and why is no one defending him? So you probably heard the name Julian Assange, and you probably gathered from all the... So that was it. So, you know, it's true. Uh, I consider him to be more of a journalist. I would like to learn a lot more about what went down there. So... Also, we know that CNN has been uh, under a lot of scrutiny lately. Um, Tucker Carlson asked a great question. What's happening at CNN? Let's take a listen. When you work in cable news, you're responsible not just for your own behavior, but the behavior of your producers. If one of them does something wrong, you've got to answer for it. You've got to explain how the work environment you created made this sin possible. And we're not sure we're on board with this standard. It seems a little broad, but we don't make the rules here. CNN makes the rules here. This is the rule they made, and everyone in the TV business acts like it's federal law. Given that, it was interesting to see one of CNN's senior producers arrested for child molestation recently. John Griffin is 44. He's been for years a prominent member of the staff over at CNN. Last week, he was arrested by authorities in Vermont for having sex with children. Now, typically, you read all the ugly details on TV, but they're too ugly, so we're going to spare you them. Suffice it to say... If these details are true, then this guy is awful and deserves to spend the rest of his life in prison. We're not the jury here, but the charges are very serious. In the meantime, here's our question. What kind of diseased work environment at CNN produced an accused child molester? Now, that's an obvious question. It's exactly the question CNN would ask of us, for example. But somehow, CNN's tireless media critics, the eunuch and his bug-eyed accomplice, have not said a word about it, which is weird. Now, it's been reported that Griffin worked for a guy called John Avalon. If you watch CNN, you may see Avalon occasionally. He's the fill-in guy. He's the guy they call when the adults are on vacation. He shows up and tells you how scary QAnon is. So that's the John Avalon you see on TV. But what's happening behind the scenes? Did John Avalon know that his producer was molesting children? Is he for that? Is he against it? Does he believe that the moral tone he set at work played any role in these alleged crimes against minors? Now, we called CNN for answers yesterday. They wouldn't tell us. Nor has Avalon issued any kind of statement about it, including on Twitter, where he lives pretty much all day. That's pretty weird behavior for a, quote, journalist not adding facts to a story you're involved in. We are journalists. We would like some more facts on this story, and hopefully we'll get them. You're never going to get them. You'll never get the truth. That's just all there is to that. And then there's one more clip I wanted to play from him uh, about Mitch McConnell. It's, it's kind of a very interesting take on Mitch McConnell. Tucker Carlson has a lot of good insight in terms of D.C. politics. Take a listen. 
If you don't live in D.C., you probably haven't heard the name, but Tim Yunus is a Republican event planner in Washington. For 25 years, he helped organize appearances for Senator Bob Dole and his wife, Senator Elizabeth Dole. He was close to the family. When Bob Dole died last week, Yunus was the obvious choice to manage the funeral and the memorial service, and he would have done that if Mitch McConnell hadn't gotten personally involved. Now, technically, Mitch McConnell is the Republican leader of the United States Senate, but in real life, and everyone in Washington knows this, on the issues that matter... Mitch McConnell is an instrument of the left. McConnell knew that Tim Yunus had helped organize Donald Trump's political rally in Washington this January. Now, there's nothing illegal or immoral about doing that. If anything is constitutionally protected behavior, it's organizing a political rally. It's why we have the Bill of Rights. But the partisan lunatics on the January 6th committee don't acknowledge the Bill of Rights, and they objected to this. And then Mitch McConnell aggressively took their side, as he has from the very beginning. So McConnell then convinced the Dole family to cancel Tim Eunice's contract and disinvite him from the funeral. Then McConnell made sure the story made the New York Times. And when he did that, he knew perfectly well that a piece like this would completely destroy Tim Eunice's life, which unfortunately, it definitely will. It will mean no more corporate clients, no more business, no more income for Tim Eunice. So even by Mitch McConnell's usual standards of viciousness, and in Washington he's known as the nastiest old woman in town, this was an incredibly cruel thing to do. It was crushing the weak on behalf of the strong and for no real reason simply because he could and doesn't like Trump. Now this is hardly the first time Mitch McConnell has done something vicious like this, but we thought that going forward we would start telling you about it, because why wouldn't we? So it's high time we get rid of the people that hate Trump. You know, it's it's one of these things where we really need to, uh, I think we really need to reevaluate, you know, like there's got to be a, like a litmus test. It's like you're either with the Trump train or you're not. Because the Republican Party is nothing without the Trump agenda. Without America first policies to drive it. The America First policies are the absolute essential aspect of what it is to be a conservative. And anybody who stands in the way of that is standing in, uh, standing for, you know, crony capitalism or, or you know, basically crony politics. Now, oh, you know, I uh, we are running out of, close to out of time, but we have time. I want to play this clip. Uh, I hate playing this many clips, so many. But this um, this interview recently with Dr. Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg, Fauci says it wouldn't be the first time that a supposed vaccine actually made people worse. Take a listen to this. This is short, about 25 seconds. This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety, actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. This would not be the first time. So is he basically grooming us to say, yeah, we made a mistake? Or that Bill Gates is going to get away with murder because he wants to shrink the world's population? See, Bill Gates is on record 
as saying he wants to shrink the world's population, take it down a notch because of the carbon footprint of human mankind, the climate and all that. Well, think about it now. You can't have it both ways. So then you come out with a drug that's basically, I think, killing people. I think this Omicron virus or mutation or very strained variant uh, is part of, you know, I think it's coming, it came from the vaccinated, just like the Delta did. Rick Grinnell, I think, hit the nail on the head because it was reported. So Omicron is spreading faster in Europe, but the travel ban is on a number of African countries. And so Rick Grinnell, someone I admire, um, basically said racism must always be called out. So remember we said in the beginning of the show about globalism, communism, and racism, socialists, communists. They're segregationists. The vaccine passports are segregationists. So Fauci is basically endorsing someone like Google saying you're going to get fired and lose your job if you don't take the vaccine. But also vaccines have been known to be ineffective or cause more harm than good. So in the case where it causes more harm than good, um, he's almost admitting it. And that would be the way you get away with murder scot-free by actually fulfilling Gates' dream. It's a twofer. Gates gets a return on his investment, gets to kill a lot of people, curb the world's population, fix the problems with socialized medicine by killing off the older people, like in Italy. It's not just relegated to here in the United States. And also segregate the world, like Africa, who wasn't playing ball with Pfizer, so got punished. You know, it's all of these things rolled up into one. Controlling populations is what globalists do. This is their grand utopia, controlling populations. But that, to me, seems like a level of racism never seen before. You know, this is pure genocide is what we're dealing with. Athletes, young athletes are dying off from myocarditis and other ailments. It's a problem. And we're going to continue to talk about it here on the Scott Adams Show. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Down in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in D.C., but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.